You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening on America's Web Radio. Today we're going to talk about some gun stuff. We're going to talk about some prepper stuff. <clears throat> but the gun stuff is most important because we're also going to talk about police funding. And even places that do fund their police, sometimes with this anti-police attitude, they're having issues keeping policemen on board. It's nuts. But the, the whole anti-gun movement is actually, I believe it's, it's, it's leaving. It's, it's dying down a little bit. There's a new Texas law out that actually they just approved constitutional carry a few weeks ago. And apparently, un, unlike the anti-gunners said, there was not dozens of people laying dead in the streets, shot in, in, uh, you know, in, in uh, duels or anything like that. Everything has remained calm. The rate hasn't gone up. But people are wearing guns now, and they can expose them, too. They have open carry now. Where before in Texas, the carry laws were extremely strict, where even if you accidentally exposed a firearm that you were concealing, it could have been a violation of the law. So they have since corrected this in Texas and said, if you want to carry open, you can. If you want to carry concealed, you can. And they're pushing for the the new constitutional carry law. Basically, that just says that the Constitution says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And with that, we cannot pass any laws to infringe on your rights to keep and bear arms. So, but now... I think this started back when Obama was president. He started imposing restrictions on relationships between banks and certain industries he did not find, I guess, palatable or interesting to him in any way. So what happened is he started having banks restrict what they could do with certain companies that manufactured, sold, or promoted guns in any ways. Now, this is a pure violation of civil rights. You know, if you have a legal business... They should not be able to tell a bank they shouldn't work with you because they don't like what you do. Could you imagine if they did that with other businesses? You say all the dentists got together and say, you know what? None of these banks should support companies that make candy because candy is bad for kids' teeth, and we don't want kids to get cavities, so we don't think banks should be able to work with candy companies. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. But unfortunately, they tried to do this with companies that manufactured guns, that manufactured magazines, that manufactured accessories for guns. And some of the largest banks in the country have been accused of doing this, and they tend to restrict certain parts of the of the banking industry to certain companies based on what they of what they manufacture, what they make, what they sell. Now there's a new Texas law out there that is aimed at stopping this. They're going to implement a law, supposedly, that will have an impact on the bottom line of any of these financial institutions that do not want to do business with people or companies that produce guns or sell guns. They're requiring banks or any other businesses that seek contracts worth more than $100,000 to certify that they don't exclude firearm or ammunition industries from their list of clientele. So if they refuse to do business with people with ammo companies or gun companies or gun accessory companies, they will not be able to get any state or municipal contracts in the state of Texas. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but it's a start. This is how it has to start. You have to use, I mean, it's unfortunate, but you have to use blackmail to get these people to play fair. Because they are private businesses and they can choose who they want to do business with to some extent. But if you allow discrimination at any level, 
to thrive, then you're going to it's going to get out of hand and it's going to become unreasonable, untenable situation is going to result and you're not going to be able to stop it. It's going to get completely unreasonable. Because imagine if everybody could just decide, well, I don't like people who wear blue jeans. I'm not going to serve anybody in my convenience store if you're wearing blue jeans when you come in. You have to be wearing, you know, khakis or or a skirt. Even a guy could wear a skirt and come in and get served, but he can't wear blue jeans. It's just ridiculous. It's discrimination, and it shouldn't be allowed in any way, form, or fashion. If you're going to do business, do business fairly. And, and a lot of this, you know, a lot of this may come to you as, as a way of a mandate. Imagine there was a, there was a fight, actually, that I read about today that happened in New York City by a Texas couple who was being asked for their vaccine records, and they didn't have them, and they wanted to eat. They had a reservation. The restaurant didn't want to let them in, so there was a bit of a scuffle there, and they ended up having to call the police. And in New York, apparently, if you don't have your vaccine card, you don't have to be served, or that restaurant can decide whether they want to serve you with a vaccine card or not. Now, could you imagine if this went a little further? Could you imagine if they decided, okay, you can't vote unless you have a vaccine card? You're not allowed to serve in public office if you don't have a vaccine card. You're not allowed to have a contract with government agencies unless everybody in your company is vaccinated. One step further is that they have mandated now that SEALs, our best of the best, will not be deployed unless they've been vaccinated. Wow. Well, you know, the military is a different animal, though. They require vaccines for all kinds of crazy things. I know. I've that people done that. Yeah. At the same token, I think this is a, a little different in that uh, it's still an experimental vaccine. Right. It has. I, I don't think it's been approved yet by the FDA yet. Or did they get approval on one of them, I think, got Pfizer FDA approval? Got approved. Oh, the Pfizer one. That's the one that was causing all kinds of problems. That's the single shot one, wasn't it? No. Or is that the Johnson & Johnson? Moderna or whatever it is. Oh, uh, the Johnson & Johnson. That was the one they had problems with, and they pulled it off the market. But anyway. For now. I, for our military, yes. You know, I had to take all the shots, uh, the air shots, all of them. But... You know, at what point this thing has become ridiculous? Yeah, I, I guess. And, and it's one, in the military, though. You sign up and you volunteer to give up some of your rights to be in the military. So, What's I your mean, medical rights. You would think not, but yeah, they, if you don't get an anthrax vaccine, you're not going to be in the military. The only, the only, uh, if you're going on deployment and you, they require certain shots to go, like to Asia. Right, because there's different things there than you're exposed to here, North America, South America, Europe even. There's different things in Asia. There's different things in Australia. There's different things in different countries that you normally may not get exposed to here, but you would get exposed to if you're traveling abroad. And the military is known because they travel abroad. They do a lot of that. But anyway, I didn't like the idea that uh, they could hold deployment. Yeah, and that's, you know, are you going to keep back our very best soldiers because they don't want to be vaccinated with some experimental vaccine that hasn't been proven and the companies have no liability for? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, most of the rest of the vaccines all the soldiers take are probably proven, they're tested, and the companies stand behind them, I believe. I don't know. I've heard certain ones of them are more experimental than others because only the military gets them. So, I don't know. Yeah, that's true, too. And one of our... Colonels, that's a good friend of ours. Uh, 
they were giving shots at, and he wanted to know what it was for. And they wouldn't tell him. And he said, well, you know, I'm not going to take it unless I know what it's for. And the next step was, then we'll court-martial you. Ooh. I figured they could dishonorably discharge him. I didn't know they could court-martial him. Well, that was one of our favorite colonels that works with us very closely. Retired now, but this was when he was on active duty. Oh, okay. Anyway. But, yeah. But in Texas, though, if you don't supply, if you don't provide services to gun manufacturers, then you will not be able to do business with Texas. The state of Texas, the municipalities in Texas, they will not be allowed to do business with any bank that discriminates against gun manufacturers, parts manufacturers. Like CEO, uh, the CEO of Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, said the bank doesn't serve manufacturers of assault-style weapons for civilian use, but does serve manufacturers of military and law enforcement. So they want the military and the law enforcement to have weapons that civilians would not be allowed to have. And, you know, I think the Constitution is clear, pretty clear when it states shall not be infringed. It doesn't say unless of this or in case of that or it's not stamped on the back with any exclusions. It says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's extremely clear. It's succinct. It's to the point. It's one of the shortest amendments in the Constitution because it has no ambiguity. It is clearly stated. And Texas is standing up for manufacturers of these weapons. If it was up to um, the anti-gunners, they would shut down every gun company by limiting their access to banking. <clears throat> I haven't been back to Texas in a while, but it would be interesting to go back now and find out if um, everybody's carrying a six-gun on their hip. They said a lot of people were to kind of celebrate the, the new law and that they had a huge amount of people carrying guns openly. And a lot of people, when asked, they say, well, we're just doing it for a week or two to celebrate the law passing, and then I'll go back to carrying it how I normally do. Because to me personally, carry it concealed, because that way no one knows you have it until they need to know you have it. But to walk around with it on your hip is like an advertisement saying, shoot me first if you're going to try and rob this place. The nice part is, too, that Texas has uh, uh, Texas and Georgia have uh, what am I saying uh, reciprocity oh reciprocity yes yeah. actually there's uh, I'm trying to remember there was a website you can go and you can just check reciprocity uh, gun permit reciprocity on, on uh, Google or whatever it is and you can find out which states your permit is good in and there are other states who will allow you to get a permit in their state without actually having to be in the state or be a resident of the state which could extend your reciprocity to even more states. I think Georgia is right there in about the mid-30s as to how many states they have. And they and more and more states are working together to try and get reciprocity. The biggest holdouts, of course, are the ones that do not issue carry permits. California, New Jersey, New York, Illinois. I mean, there's a lot of states, Oregon, uh, Washington. They, don't, they tend not to issue permits unless you can prove you have a need for it. Could you imagine that going into vote and, and they saying, oh, well, unless you can prove you have a need to vote, we're not going to let you vote. You can't exercise this, this right to vote, which actually there is no right to vote in the Constitution. But if you're calling it a right to vote, you can't exercise this without showing you need to. Well, you, you, you need to show proof that you have to vote or you, there's some reason why you have to vote. But yet the, the Second Amendment is restricted in so many ways 
It's just, it's ridiculous. Now, granted, I don't believe criminals should have guns. I don't believe ex-cons should have guns. There are mentally unstable people should not have guns. I don't believe everybody should be able to just have a gun and buy it easily. There has to be some kind of background check on everybody getting one. And I know the Second Amendment clearly states that there should be no infringement. But unfortunately, there are people who ruin it for the rest of us, so to speak. Those bad apples that kind of ruin it for everybody else. So we have to have some restrictions or some background checks just in order to, to prove we are not crazy or psychotic or, you know, a criminal or ex-con or intent on doing harm. But I believe once you get to that state, you get the federal background check, then you should get a permit that's good all over the United States. You should not have to have a state-by-state permit system. You should Every state should have reciprocity with every other state or... What if they imagine if they pulled back the reciprocity for driver's licenses? Just think about that for a moment. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. Hello, my name is Rick White and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia or you've lived here 10 years or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org. And find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, I'm Roger B., and we're back on Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Right before we left the break, we were talking about Texas and their limiting people to get government contracts if they limited their um, serving of gun companies. If they wouldn't serve gun companies or help provide banking services to gun companies, you're not going to do business in Texas. Any big contracts you would not be able to get, you would not be able to provide any services in Texas if you restrict your ability to serve gun companies. Texas, apparently, most people know Texas is pretty pro-gun. They just passed constitutional carry, open carry. They tend to favor gun carrying because they know more guns usually equal less crime because the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And cops can't be everywhere at once. You know, I carry a forty five because a cop is too heavy and they don't make a forty six. <laughs> 
But uh, back in Texas, this is something that's been done before in Missouri, I believe. But there's the a- the ATF has been warning Texas because Texas has a new, I guess it's a law, or they have an H- House Bill 957, which claims to exempt silencers or suppressors that are manufactured in Texas from being under the regulation of federal law. Now, this is interesting because if it's not interstate commerce, then supposedly the federal government is not supposed to be able to regulate it as much. So here they're saying any suppressors that are manufactured in Texas and stay within the state of Texas are allowed to be used without federally registering them. Now, the ATF has said, no, no, this is not true. We still have jurisdiction and can prosecute anybody who has a suppressor that we don't get our federal money on. Because in case you're unaware... If you get a suppressor or a fully automatic weapon, you have to register with the federal government. It requires a $200 tax stamp, and it must be every time it's transferred, it has to undergo this same tax stamp fee and background checks, extreme background checks. But Texas is saying a suppressor is not a gun. A suppressor is basically just a muffler. You could pull the muffler off your lawnmower, and that would be considered a suppressor if you had a gun that was threaded to it. Which is ridiculous. Why wouldn't you want people to protect their hearing? You sell, they sell earplugs and earmuffs and all these ear protection items, but yet they don't want you to put something in the gun that will make it quieter and make it more reasonable to shoot and not damage your hearing. In fact, they had a, a law that was in the, in the federal Congress for a while, the Hearing Protection Act, HPA. And the Hearing Protection Act was in order to take silencers off the national federal firearms list and put them in just a regular gun category so anytime if you whatever you can do to purchase a gun is all you had to do to purchase a suppressor or silencer and that actually made pretty good sense because unlike you know they show in the movies all the assassins put their silencers on and they shoot people in complete silence this is not how they work this is the hollywood interpretation of how suppressors and silencers work they do cut down on the sound considerably and they make it much more comfortable to shoot without hearing protection if the bullet is going at a subsonic speed. Subsonic speed is somewhere right around between 1,000 and 1,100 feet per second. Once it gets past that, you get a supersonic crack as the bullet exits the barrel or goes outside of the barrel. It breaks the sound barrier and makes a really loud cracking noise. If it goes below the speed of sound, then you can suppress a gun or a bullet to the point of being able to be heard without any kind of additional hearing protection. If you've never seen this or experienced this, sometimes local ranges will rent you suppressors. Now, of course, if you're in the range and other people are firing things, you can't actually hear it without your hearing protection on. But if you get a chance and someone will let you shoot their suppressed weapon where you can actually run it without hearing protection, you can see how much more pleasurable it can be without having to wear giant earmuffs or earplugs and earmuffs or all kinds of things to help protect your hearing. But anyway, so Texas has decided that... Their citizens do not have to pay the $200 tax stamp. They do not have to pay to have a suppressor and own it in the state of Texas. And the ATF is saying, oh, yes, you do. Federal law trumps state law, and there's no way you can do this and get away with it. So we'll have to see. I mean, I don't know if they're going to actually pursue this. Are they going to try and find somebody to prosecute? Are they going to try and make an example of somebody? I don't know. And it seems odd with the suppressor because it's not a gun. It doesn't do anything on its own. All it does is make a weapon 
a little quieter so it's easier and more comfortable to shoot. And there's a lot of European countries where suppressors are treated the same as any other accessory, like a, a scope or a magazine or something like that. You buy it because you want to protect your hearing. And they allow free access to these things. Well, not free. You have to buy them. But there's no government restrictions on the use of silencers or suppressors in some European countries, which seems odd because Europe usually has much stricter gun laws. But I think the Europeans have realized this is not about guns. It's about protecting your hearing, keeping the noise level down, avoiding noise pollution. There you go. If you're an environmentalist, this avoids noise pollution. You should be all for this. Let's not scare the little animals. Let's not uh, scare the little mice and rodents that are running around shoot quietly so you don't have to annoy your neighbors either this way you could shoot in your backyard and no one would know it's perfect but anyway we'll have to see i mean i'm sure someone's going to have to set up a legal challenge and they're going to have to prosecute the atf's going to have to come in and prosecute somebody and prove to them that the atf would come in and force their suppressor laws texas says no you can't because we passed a law saying if it doesn't violate interstate commerce, if it never leaves the state, there's no reason for you to be against it or have any regulation over it. So we'll see. That's something that's up and coming. We'll have to see how that goes. Now, the same thing happened in Missouri, and then ended up prosecuting a guy who posted on social media that he just bought a silencer, and he loved it. It was so much fun. He was having a ball with it. But because it was not federally registered in the state of Missouri, then they came after him and the manufacturer, press charges against them. Now, normally, if you get a violation of this sort, it could be up to 10 years in jail, $10,000 to $50,000 fine. This is not a lightweight charge. This is a heavy-duty charge if you get caught with this in the federal eyes. But in the Missouri case, because the Missouri law was on their side, I think their total fine at the end was $800 in whatever time they had, you know, been locked up in this whole legal battle and they were not restricted as far as their ownership of weapons in the future either. So normally you get hit with a federal firearms violation you lose your rights to own guns ever again or for a long period of time. Here they didn't even do that to the guys in Missouri because the Missouri law was on their side. And this is just another one of those things that's going to become an issue where states' rights and federal law come to clash. Federal law and state law come to clash. And if you don't know what this is about, look at the marijuana laws. Marijuana, according to federal law, is a controlled substance and is not allowed to be used. Unless there are certain exemptions for certain types of people who have permits and stuff like this. But now all these states are just making it legal. And it still is in violation of federal law. In fact, where did that go? There was a story here about, oh, here it is. The feds had busted a wrapper in possession of a firearm because he was a marijuana user. And apparently he had posted himself smoking marijuana or doing something, and in the state he was in, apparently, it's not illegal to do that. So he was not violating the state law, but because it was still against federal law, owning a weapon while you're using marijuana is illegal according to federal law. And federal and the federal laws control most of the gun ownership and gun buyers. It's not up to the state to determine whether you can have one. It's up to the federal law to determine whether you can have a gun. And what was this guy's name? A little mellow, little mellow. He was in. He he apparently had a gun on him, and he was a known marijuana user. And the feds busted him for using marijuana in possession of a firearm. And I think you're going to see a lot more of this. In fact, it's even on the new forms, uh, the 4473 forms, which is the form you fill out when you want to purchase a weapon. 
If you go down to the question about marijuana, it says, are you a user of marijuana? And it even says, even if you have a permit, license, or exemption from your state, you still have to check whether or not you are a marijuana user. Whether it's legal or not, they don't care. The feds want to know because it is still a controlled substance under federal law. And it's crazy because these states are making it legal, and I have a feeling this is going to come to a head at some point. Either the federal government's going to relax their their stranglehold on marijuana usage, or it's going to come to court and there's going to be a big battle over it. Something's going to have to happen to do this. I remember when Trump was president, he actually said, get me the law on my desk to sign. I will make it legal in the United States. I will decriminalize it nationally. So he was all all in favor of letting people smoke or eat whatever they want, use THC, whatever. He was okay with that because, you know, it's no different than using any other drug, whether it's legal or not, whether it's nicotine, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is. You know, take your drug of choice. As long as you're not under the influence while you're driving or endangering somebody else or you're at work, you operate heavy machinery, you know, then fine. You know, if you want to get high on something, get drunk on something on your own time, that's your own business and shouldn't be anybody else's business, in my opinion. But we'll have to see how this goes. I mean, they busted him, and now I don't know what's going to happen. Because the fact that he was a marijuana user and they knew it, they're going to have to determine whether that's actually a problem because in the state he was in, it was not illegal. So it wasn't violating state law. And then there's the uh, the immigration law where states are letting these illegals come in, get driver's licenses, allowing them to vote in elections, even though they're not citizens. And this is something that also is a, is a violation of federal law. But we're going to have to see, you know, eventually they're going to have to take all these issues and determine whether state law takes precedent over federal law, whether federal law Trump state law because any powers not expressly reserved to the federal government are supposed to be reserved to the states which means the fact that the constitution says shall not be infringed means there should be no federal regulation of firearms and all of the the regulations on firearms should be at a state level which I know would make things messy and complicated, but you know what? That's the way the Constitution is written. If you're going to listen to it or, or abide by it, that's what you have to do. So we'll see. I mean, I just I know all this stuff is going to come to a head at some point, and a judge is probably going to have to make a decision and determine what he feels is legal, unless the federal government makes changes. You know, if they eliminate the National Firearms Act of 1934 or change it or modify it to allow suppressors, then all this will go away. If they change the drug laws to where marijuana is not a controlled substance anymore, then all the marijuana laws should go away. You know, there still be some restrictions, I'm sure, just like anything. You're not going to allow seven-year-olds to, to go buy marijuana and smoke. All right, we're going to come right back after this. I want to get into a little bit of uh, resignation among police officers. I am Roger B. You're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And I'm Roger B. You're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And right before I left of the break, I was talking about police departments and police officers resigning. Now, we've seen a lot of this in big cities. Like in New York, they had to put a limit on how many officers could resign per month because they were resigning in such huge numbers that they couldn't replace them fast enough. But I'm thinking if you're going to defund them anyway, why do you need to hire replacements? Let them defund by just resigning. But apparently so many were resigning, they couldn't fill positions fast enough, so they put a limit on it. And so many were allowed to resign per month. Well, sometimes you run into a case where you can't. there is no anticipation of this happening, and people just resign. Most recently in Missouri, an entire Missouri police department resigned, including the police chief. <laughs> and this was back in August. And it was kind of funny because, you know, they all gave different problems like inadequate pay, not having the right tools to do their job. The, depart- the department was str- struggling to find replacements. And they also mentioned the rhetoric. The rhetoric- the rhetoric against police officers had become so heated that a lot of the people serving didn't feel like the public was appreciating what they did. They didn't feel like they were safe in their jobs because they were afraid that too many people were anti-police and they were afraid for their lives, basically. I mean, usually, I know when I was growing up, people were always thought, if you need help, find a police officer. That's what you do. Now, a lot of people are growing up being taught police officers are only bad. They're only going to harm you. They're only going to, you know, cause you problems. You don't need to talk to them. Avoid them at all costs. And it's sad. And, it, you know, and there were some incidences that have caused this kind of, I guess, put a bad taste in people's mouth. The policemen aren't always fair. They're not always, you know, the best people when it comes to judging other people. I mean, but they get jaded just like everybody else. They make mistakes. They're human. People are going to make mistakes. That happens in every industry, every part of any relationship in the world. People are going to make mistakes. And, you know, with police, the consequences can be much worse than in, in other places. You know, if a sales guy makes a mistake and sells you the wrong thing, you can bring it back and exchange it usually and get the right thing, get, get what you need, get it fixed. You know, and the thing is you can forgive most people for making mistakes you know, you're not going to forget it, but you're going to forgive. So here, these police officers are not 
forgiving their superiors who are not standing behind them. They're going, you know what? If you're not going to stand behind us, we don't want to take this this job. We don't want to be here. So the city of Missouri had the entire police force resign within a few weeks. So now the city is without police protection. Now, granted, it's a small city. I believe they said it had less than 500 people there. And their police force consisted of, I think, three officers and one chief of police. <laughs> so we're not talking, you know, we're not talking some big city just letting crime run rampant, you know. But it was just kind of funny that this city, Missouri, actually ca- it came to this because the police officers were just like, okay, you know, we've had enough. We don't like being talked down to. We don't like being mistreated. We don't like being not appreciated. Let's hear some other numbers. 2,600 officers retired from New York in 2020. And that is up over 1,000 officers from the year before. Now, Portland, Oregon, who I thought would have had much higher numbers, only had 69 to retire. And 75 between in in the first part of uh, 2021. So their numbers were not even that high. In Seattle, it went from 34 resigning to 123 resigning. So that's three times the amount. It's funny because all these people think that they they can mistreat cops and they're still going to do their job and they're still going to be there when you call 911 and you need help. You can talk bad about the cops and then call them anyway, which is ridiculous. You know, you can't expect these people to do a job if it's it's not being appreciated. How would you feel if you went to your job and your boss never appreciated anything you did, told you everything you're doing was wrong, and wouldn't stand up for you in the case of an incident happening? You probably wouldn't stay there long. You'd find another company that would treat you better. Well, that's what a lot of these police officers are doing. They're going other places. They're, or they're getting out. They're getting into different industries, going into the private field. Now, this is a story from last year in October. But in Pine Ridge, South Carolina, the entire police force resigned. Again, because of the rhetoric against police officers and how things, you know, how things are just going. You can see it on the news. I mean... The police officers are not being treated fairly. They're being scrutinized at a much higher level than they probably should be. Now, granted, there always are some bad actors in every group. There are bad doctors, bad nurses, bad radio show hosts, I'm sure. In fact, you <laughs> Not might be, on America's web radio. I don't know. I don't know if I have such confidence in my abilities. But anyway, back to Pine Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> Their whole police force retired. Now, granted, this was another small town. I believe they had three or four people on their police force, and they all retired. And every six months, these guys would get in, they'd rehire people, and they'd start resigning again. It was crazy because they just and, – and now you got to figure, if you're a police chief or a governor or mayor of this small town, you got to realize, okay, what's going on to cause these police to retire in such droves? To, to start just deciding that, okay, we're going to stop this. We're just not going to work here anymore. And a lot of it has to do with the mayors and the governors backing their police officers. Because if you think about it, the mayor of a town is basically, he's the commander-in-chief of the police force. And the police chief is probably just below him in that respect. And if those two people don't respect and honor the people under them or take care of them or stand up for them, why would they want to work for you? Why would they want to continue to protect and serve people who don't care about them, who don't give them the respect that they deserve? Now, granted, there are reasons people dislike police officers because they have to give speeding tickets and they have to hassle the drunk guy on his way home from work on his lawnmower. You know, there are things they have to do. But generally, most police officers try to do the right thing. They have, I guess they have a, a calling in them to protect, to serve, to be 
a shield between the public good and the pu- and evil. They want to stop evil from from procreating, from thriving, from becoming more common. And that's that's one of the noblest professions in the world as far as I'm concerned. And granted, there are bad actors in every bunch, but most police officers want to do the right thing. They're honorable in what they do. They perform their jobs with honor and respect to the people who they're working for. But if people don't respect them back or don't give them the tools they need or support them when they need help, as in their superiors, then these guys are not going to do the jobs anymore. It's just not worth it. Why would they stand up, put their lives on the line for a city or for a town or for mayors and governors that don't stand up for them? They're not going to. They're going to quit. So it's just it happens. Now, there was also another story. This was last year in Buffalo. There was a protest going on in Buffalo, New York, and apparently some police officers pushed an elderly man to the ground because he was either shouting at them, resisting them in some way. And at that time, 57 people in the emergency response team of the Buffalo Police Department all retired after two members of the unit were suspended. They said, you know what? We're not going to stand here. We don't want to be next. We don't want to be next on the chopping block. You know, we're not going to be the ones to stand. You're going to sit here and mistreat our fellow officers like this. And there was debate as to whether they should have or they shouldn't have. But this guy was being confrontational. He was arguing. He was not obeying commands. And they had to use force to put him on the ground. His age shouldn't make a difference. You should, an older person should know better. You've been taught better. You're supposed to be smart enough. Wisdom supposedly comes with age. Well, apparently this guy who fought the police in Buffalo didn't have any wisdom, didn't have any smarts, didn't have any idea that he was supposed to respect police officers. In fact, he went on to antagonize them until they put him to the ground. and I think they put handcuffs on him. And he complained because he was old. And other people were complaining because they were there saying, he was old, you shouldn't have done that. Well, you know what? If an old person comes to your house and starts shooting at you, I doubt you're going to ask for an ID before you start shooting back, if you're capable of doing that. So that's something to consider. Now that all these police officers are retiring and you're getting less protection than you were and they're being more cautious about answering certain calls. A lot of times police are going, you know what? I don't want to answer the call of the drunk guy sitting in the Wendy's line who passed out while he's waiting to get his food. I don't want to answer that call because I don't want to have to deal with a belligerent drunk guy who's going to grab my taser and try and fire it at me while he's running away from me. That, by the way, was a scene in the in the Atlanta area, I believe it was last year, of the guy who took an officer's taser and he ran away and then he turned around to fire at him and then they fired back at him with guns. Now, the officer may not have known it was a taser he was firing. He could have had a gun also. They didn't know. You turn around and fire anything at a police officer, you're going to get shot. You know, unless you're a four-year-old kid firing a dart gun, you're probably putting yourself in extreme risk to point any kind of weapon at a police officer. And a taser is indeed a weapon. It uses an explosive charge to fire those little electronic needles out of them. So it it is a weapon. So now that there's less police on the street, less emergency responders... What are you going to do? Are you going to just do the same thing? Hope that when you call them, they'll get there? Hope that when you call them, they'll get there in time? Hope that they'll be able to get to you? So basically, I'm asking, how prepared are you? Now, a lot of people are fully prepared. They have every aspect, every scenario that they could possibly think of covered. Now, this, of course, takes a ridiculous amount of effort and a ridiculous amount of time and money to do this. To prepare for every single possible emergency, you would spend your entire life prepping and not actually living. But there are certain things everybody can do with a minimal amount of effort 
that will help you survive or get by in case of some sort of emergency or some sort of event. It's like there are, I mean, food and water. That's generally the probably the number one thing. If you're in a an area where they have hurricanes or they have um, earthquakes, something that could cut you off from the rest of society that would limit your supply chain, you couldn't get to a grocery store. Do you have enough to survive for three to four to five, six, eight days, ten days? How much do you have, and and how secure is it? Is it stuff that's going to be when you open it up? Is it going to be all rotten? If you don't look at it for three or four months, or is it going to be something that will be good that you'll be able to use? Now, of course, certain parts of the country or certain parts of the world are more susceptible to certain natural disasters than others. For instance, civil unrest is way more popular, or not popular, it's much more of a problem in larger cities. You have people protesting, you have people blocking traffic, you have people, you know, assaulting people with rocks or bottles of water or whatever it happens to be. And these, this usually happens in a bigger city. So if you live in a bigger city, this is something that you may have to consider more than the guy who lives in the country and his nearest neighbor is a mile away. They're not as likely to have as much civil unrest out in the country. But if you do live in, this, in the city and you have to take care of yourself and civil unrest is an issue you're going to have to deal with, then you need to prepare for that. And with civil unrest, it can cut you off from your supply lines. They start blocking the streets. Trucks that bring groceries and water to your neighborhood store may not be able to get through for days. Do you have enough to cover yourself with that? Do you have a way to be able to get enough drinking water? What if the water supply was cut off by a hurricane or a flood or something that would cause it to not be available? Do you have enough water stored somewhere? Would you have a way to purify water that may not be clean? These are important questions because water is something, they say there's threes. You can go for three minutes without air, three days without water, uh, three, 30, 30 days without food, something like that, and or three weeks without food. And these are the things you have to consider. So water is one of the most important things after air. You must have it within three days or you can die. It's that simple. So do you have a way to purify water? If you don't, You may want to go start doing some research and find out how to do it. There are probably a hundred different ways to purify water because you want to remove all the bacteria, all the protozoans, all the possible viral particles, but you want to do it with something that's not going to forever poison the water because you may poison all these little critters in there and it may end up poisoning you at the same time. One easy way that I was reading about, I'm not going to try and give you too many examples, but this is one that was easy. You use bleach in the water because bleach is basically chlorine, and chlorine will dissolve out of water within 48 hours generally. In fact, if you take water from your faucet, let it sit in a bucket for 24 hours, the little bubbles that are coming out is all the chlorine that will come out of your water. You can dechlorinate water by letting it sit still in an open container, usually for 24 to 48 hours. That's assuming you have public water available. If you don't have public water available, then what else can you use? You have to have a way to collect water. Is there a stream nearby? Do you have a creek? Do you have a swimming pool? Do you have bathtubs that you could fill up in case of an emergency? That's something you'd have to consider. And the thing is, in an emergency, you don't know if you're going to have time to fill the bathtub. Do you have several cases of water on hand in your basement, in your kitchen, where you can get to them? Do you have a way to provide for your family? Do they have enough water to brush their teeth with as well as drink? So these are questions you need to ask yourself and and be prepared. I mean, I think, actually, I think this month or November is National Preparedness Month. I forget which. But 
it would be time to consider possibilities that you maybe haven't considered before. Consider having water and food for every person in the house and every animal in the house. Does your dog have enough food to survive for three or four days? Did you get enough food for the cat? Could that last for days? All right, we're going to be right back after this. I'm going to get into a few more issues of prepping. I am Roger B. You're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hello, Atlanta. Have you heard? Get your motor running. Whether you're born to be wild or not, because on October the 2nd from 10 till 2 at Roswell City Hall, we're hosting a car show unlike anything Roswell has seen, benefiting St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and free to the public. Guests will enjoy an array of exquisite, rarely seen cars, boats, bikes, plus vendors with both automotive and art themes, along with local brewery from the earth hosting a beer garden, offering a lunch menu, coffee barista, snow cones, photo booth, and face painting. Fun for all the family. Register your motor anytime up to the day of the event at atlmotoringfest.org. And for more information, call us, 770-645-6844. We look forward to seeing you You're Saturday, October the 2nd. Web Radio, isolated space around Dodgeball City Thank Hall. you for listening. All right, we are back. I'm Roger B. You're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And right before we left, we were talking about prepping. I, I was getting into water a little bit, and water is one of the most important things you need to have. You also need to have food. Now, there are several ways to store food. One way is to just buy extra of everything you normally use and rotate through your stock to keep the freshest stuff in basically the back of your storage and you pull off the front the oldest stuff and you just cycle it and you make sure you have enough to where you could go for a week or two they say three days is enough i would like to see everybody have two weeks worth of food available if they needed it even if it wasn't full meals just something to eat every day for three weeks for everybody in your family or in your household because you need to keep your strength up and you need water to wash that down with or sometimes you need water to cook it with the other way would be to buy very specific survival-style food. That would be something like freeze-dried food or MREs or something like that that you could keep for years on end and not have to worry about. Freeze-dried food, I think, can keep for over 30 years. So that would be something you buy once, put in a bucket, take the oxygen out of it, and it'll stay sealed for a long time. The MREs, MREs, which is Meals Ready to Eat, which is a military invention. And these come sealed in a plastic bag, and they are ready to eat. They have all the moisture already in them. You don't need to add water to them. You don't need to boil them. You don't need to cook them. They can be eaten straight out of the package. Now, some of the newer ones have what they call a heating plate in them, so you can actually have warm food. I think you put a tablespoon or two tablespoons of water on this little plate. 
slide it into the bag, and it will heat the contents of the bag. So you want to make sure you take out the Hershey's chocolate, the butter, things like that, before you heat the whole bag up. But, yeah, that we can actually have a hot meal. Now, these do have an expiration date. I think they normally last for five to eight years. They put an expiration date on them. But keep in mind, that expiration date can be extended considerably if they're kept in a cool, dry place. That expiration date is if they're handled probably in the worst possible way, kept in the, the worst of heat, the worst of, of cold. Actually, the heat would probably be more. If they're sitting out in a desert in a pile somewhere in the sand for days on end, they will still be good for up to five to eight years. If you keep them stored in a cool basement where it's relatively dry, they'll probably go twice that easily. And a lot of times it's not whether they'll go bad. It's just the flavor and the, um, I guess, the food itself will not be at its peak. Whatever you're eating will not be at its peak if you go past the expiration date. Because a lot of times they put expiration date on dates on things that I don't think should have them. Like honey, for one. Honey never expires. It never goes bad. It never gets bad unless you get something in it to cause it. If, unless you put something in it that grows like bacteria or viral particles or something that can grow in honey, your honey will be good for it forever. In fact, they have taken honey out of Egyptian tombs and tasted it, and they said it was fine. I thought that was pretty amusing. In fact, that's one food you can actually store forever if it's stored properly is honey. Now, granted, you don't want to eat honey for a meal every day, three times a day, but you could get by on it if you had to. It has a lot of nutrients in it, but it's probably more nutrient for bees than it is for people. But so you either want specialized food that you can store for long periods of time or you want to buy extra food and rotate through that stock to be able to take the the oldest ones first and then keep the newer ones going into the back to keep your freshest stock. So if you need it, you'll have those extra three cans of every single thing on your shelf stored there and you'll be ready to go if anything happens. If your supply line is cut off, can you survive? Would you be able to get by without going to McDonald's or Taco Bell? You know, some people don't have an, have anything but ketchup packets in their refrigerator. They are not going to survive long if their food supply gets cut off. So everybody should be a little bit of a prepper. I mean, everybody should have a little bit of something done. I mean, think about this because especially if you have pets, you have to have enough food on hand for your pets as well or have enough people food for them to eat also because pets to me are family and they have to be taken care of too. And they also have medication, which needs to be taken care of. And that's an, another thing. Is medical equipment is probably right after food and water. Because usually if there's some sort of natural disaster, I mean, it depends on where you are. It could be a hurricane, an earthquake, a tornado, civil unrest, home invasion, flooding. And certain parts of the country are more susceptible than others. Like, say, during a hurricane, water, fresh water is usually hard to come by. Unless you're catching rain at the time. Usually the water supplies are cut off. There's usually a lot of salt water and everything. As it comes in from the ocean, it drags some ocean water with it, and it can basically make a lot of things undrinkable. So you have to prepare for that. And it depends on what part of the country you're in. Obviously, if you're in Wyoming, you're not going to be getting a lot of hurricanes because hurricanes have to travel from the ocean inland to affect anything. But being prepared is going to be one of the key things. And in a medical emergency, do you have what it takes? I know guys who have thousands of rounds of ammo, lots of guns, and they don't have a single Band-Aid in the entire house. You know, the other thing about water that uh, you didn't mention is having water for sanitation. Oh, right, right. You know, to wash clothes, to uh, wash your hands with. 
to wash vegetables off if you're growing stuff, you know, to wash your, your salad off if you grow some, something to eat. You want to be able to clean it. Yeah, that's entirely true. Now, granted, that water doesn't have to be quite as clean as something you're going to drink, but it has to be close. It can't be infected because you don't want to wash your vegetables with infected water. And you also can use it to flush the toilet. Yes, if you're still in your house and your house is functional and you have enough water to use for that, I think it's like one to three gallons per flush. If you've got tons of water, you've got a pool in the backyard with thousands and thousands of gallons in it, sure, fill up those toilet tanks, flush them. Keep the waste out of the house. It'll keep things more sanitary throughout your survival stint, however long that may be. But the medical stuff is hard because, you know, you can go buy Band-Aids, antibiotic ointment, gauze, stuff like that. But you tend to buy stuff that they that you have the training or skill set for. Like say, you're not likely to go out and buy an IV bag if you've never put an IV in somebody's arm. Because even if you did need it, would you know how to do it? I mean, you've seen it done on TV. You've probably seen it done on yourself. In an emergency, could you do it? Probably. You know, but if you didn't have access to YouTube, would you be able to figure it out? <laughs> and and I know you wouldn't normally buy that stuff because you wouldn't think you know how to use it. But oftentimes, you buy more stuff than you need. Buy things, learn how to use them, or count on meeting other people who do. Trade them some medical knowledge, give them some food, you know, do something for them to help them help you. That's something I've always mentioned that every village is required everybody to provide something in a survival scenario. Otherwise, you're going to get the guys who don't save or do anything to prepare for anything. They're going to be in the worst straits because they don't have food saved for three days. They don't have water saved up. They're going to need help, and you're going to have to decide how much do you have is it renewable? Is it replenishable? Or is it something that once it's gone, it's gone, and you just have enough for your family or your closest friends or loved ones? Something to consider. But with the medical stuff, buy more than you think you know how to use because you can always find someone else who can help you or you can learn how to use it. And a lot of the little things they have make it easier. Like with mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, there's ways to do it. You pinch the nose, you lips to lips, you lock it down, you blow. Or they also make a little device, a little plastic device you can stick in somebody's mouth and blow into the hose and do it without having to have any contact. Which right now with COVID and everything, everybody is so scared to have contact with people that they don't know. So that's something you'd have to consider. Buy things that you think would help you in an emergency. Buy things even if you don't think you know how to use them. Buy them anyway and store them. Most of the medical stuff is not terribly expensive. So, And it's, it's hard to determine what you need, what you don't need. But again, preparation is preparing for something that you don't know you need yet. That's basically a good definition. If you're preparing, you're anticipating something that hasn't happened yet. If it's, if you're, it's already happened, then you're not preparing. You're doing. You're just getting stuff ready to go. So consider that also. It's, it's, just, it's something that's tough to deal with because most people don't want to think about the worst-case scenario. They don't want to think, what if? I get hurt and I don't have bandages to bandage myself up with. Now, the more advanced you get in your skill level, the more equipment you'll you'll you will find yourself comfortable using in a medical scenario. But also, if there's any kind of drugs that anybody takes in your family or in your household, make sure you have a big enough supply of these. Now, this may be hard to do because some doctors only give you so many days worth and you can't refill them before a certain time. If you can, 
you could probably ask a doctor if it's something you take all the time you can probably get a bigger supply if it's something you take daily you can probably get a bigger supply and hold on to 30 to 60 days worth of this medication if it's something you use all the time so you can be prepared in case your supply gets cut off in case you can't get to it how long could you go how many pills do you have do you take the last one before the new bottle arrives do you have three or four left do you have half a bottle left how much do you have left when your supply runs out how long could you go beyond the last shipment of your drugs or the last pickup of your drugs? That's something you'd have to know and you have to be prepared for. And most people don't think about it. You know, they get down to the bottom of the bottle, they hit a few buttons on the computer, it gets shipped to them or it gets shipped to their local drugstore and they go by and pick it up. But if you have access or if you have a way to get extra, then by all means, store extra drugs for everybody in the family who has something they have to take on a necessary level. Now, some stuff will be very difficult to, to get. If you're on some sort of pain management, then those pills will not be available in extra amounts because they don't want you over overdosing on them or getting too addicted or taking too many of them. But anything that must be had for life-sustaining issues, like if you have um, any kind of heart pills, any kind of blood pressure pills, any kind of cholesterol pills, anything that could cause your health to decline rapidly if you didn't have it, you want to make sure you have extra supply of those. And I would imagine, I don't know, I'd have to ask a doctor to see how this would work. Would they give you extra supplies of standard drugs that you have to take every day just so you could have like say rotate that stock keep a 30-day supply behind the supply you're using you get the new 30-day supply when you have to open up the second bottle the next bottle up you get a new one to replace your storage bottle so you always have at least 30 days of whatever drugs you're taking there with you in your house and if you have to run or you have to bug out you have access to those pills and don't have to try and find them somewhere along the way so just keep that in mind yes and there's also in case of civil unrest or home invasion, you want to have firearms, you want to have guns, you want to have flashlights, you want to be able to stop that threat immediately. But think about the long term also. All right, go get prepped. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.